This is Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art, because doing good work takes time. I'm Chris Kreitschow. And I'm Stephen Caradini. And we're back! We are finally, after seven and a half months, back. Because, you know, finishing... It was my fault! Well, I mean, I I, I also had to finish a (laughs) master's degree, but mostly it was Stephen's fault for having a baby and finishing a PhD and getting a job as an assistant professor at Arizona State University and moving across the country. He's done just a few things. I I like to put all my life settings on hard (laughs) and just do it that way. Makes it makes a good story at the end of it all. It does that. Stephen's wife rightly would have thrown things at him if he had not taken this time off from the podcast. Yeah. And then there was this time when I thought I'd be done with my dissertation in March, and then that didn't happen. <laughs> Word to the wise. If you write a dissertation, it's just going to take longer than you think it will. It just will. Truly, so. truly. Also, I feel slightly annoyed because I'm only a master of divinity, but Stephen is a doctor of philosophy. So now That's everyone who listens to the true. show has to call him Dr. Caradini. You don't actually yeah, have to call him that. In fact, really it'd be really don't. weird if you did that in an email. Please don't. Yeah, and you should you should call Chris Master, right, Joe? That would <laughs> no, be amazing. No, please don't. <laughs> uh, so today we're going to talk about sexism and tech company hiring. Because, because we like we to like... take it easy when we come back after seven and a half months off, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll just throw that throw that easy pitch right over the plate and smack it right out of the ballpark. That's That's what we're going to do. Yeah. Picking up from where we were back in the earlier parts of season five, because yes, this is still part of season five. Winning slowly, y'all. Yes, we, we slowly win. Sometimes very slowly. We're talking again about our three axes, thinking about the structure and agency or personal and individual versus social and cultural kinds of responsibility, the ways that structures push on us and we push back on them. And those axes are whether something is a positive or negative effect, whether something is visible or invisible in the way it has an effect, and whether it's primarily mediated socially or legally. And today, looking at sexism in tech, well, it's pretty obvious that ongoing and major sexism is negative. Yep. It's also increasingly visible, though that is a shift. A few years ago, it wasn't very visible. It was much more something that went under the radar. And one of the things that has changed dramatically, and for the better in this space in the last five years, is that it has become much more visible. And finally, for the most part, this is a social phenomenon. It is not enforced legally, because in fact, legally, this kind of sexism that is so pervasive is against the law. But that being so, the social forces that have sustained it are so strong that they have actually managed to get by past the law for a long while. So that's a broad overview. And you may argue that there are laws that try to adjust for discriminatory hiring practices, Mm -hmm. as well as for sexual harassment and other types of discrimination and sexism that go on. And there are definitely laws. But the reason that we're saying that this is more of a social thing is because a lot of prosecutions don't really happen in this space for either of those things. And there are mostly social reasons, not legal reasons that that happens. And so we're going to get into that more. And so it it doesn't take a whole lot of internet research to figure (laughs) out what we're talking about. But just in case, like me, you've been living under a rock for the past (laughs) seven and a half months, 
Uh, the most recent instances of this particular bad trend have been in uh, 500 Startups Dave McClure getting hit with uh, sexual harassment allegations that were pretty bad. The binary capital problems, they've had allegations that were also pretty bad. And then Uber, uh, as written up in a blog post by Susan J. Fowler, who made allegations that were super duper, even Uber bad. (laughs) I see what you did there. Thanks. And in point of fact, Susan J. Fowler's post precipitated what has been a fairly substantial meltdown and then attempt at restructuring Uber itself because it became abundantly clear to anyone paying attention that the problems went all the way to the top. And so now several people at the top aren't there anymore. (laughs) Yeah. To which props to Susan Fowler for having the guts to possibly open herself up to a torrent of online abuse. Yes. Uh, Undoubtedly, she got a fair bit of that. But she actually made a difference. And that leads nicely into some of the things we're going to talk about, having set the stage. We should note that those are the most recent and most blatant and most publicly known of examples of sexism plaguing the tech industry. But they're far from the only ones. We are quite confident that there are many more which have remained under the radar so far. There have been many more in the past. And of course, we should also note, while we're talking about the tech industry today specifically, in large part because it's the industry we're most familiar with, and in many ways it's one of the most influential, many of the things we're saying here apply equally in many other industries. It's not uncommon to hear of pervasive sexism in finance or in law. These are things that exist across the board. This is just where we're talking about. Right, because we are a podcast about technology. So to start with, one of the things that drew us to this concept is that while it used to be invisible or even less than invisible, it was just part of how things worked in the 50s, Mad Men, these sorts of things. Now, this issue has come to the fore even before Susan J. Fowler put together this blog post and things started to melt down recently. There were definitely examples of this coming to light and of uh, the perpetrators starting to get some amount of pushback. And sometimes this was just a lot of internet noise. Sometimes this resulted in people leaving their firms or even leaving whole industries. And it's a thing that has shifted and changed. And so we're interested in not necessarily why it shifted, although there are some interesting contours there, but what you can do to change something, a structure that is now po- is now negative and visible, but is still happening. So how do you stop something that everybody knows is a problem? Now, part of the problem is the f- not everybody knows it's a problem, but for the large chunk of people who are reading the news, pretty much everyone can agree that this is a bad thing. One of the things that's striking about this is it is slow to change. So it has become increasingly not okay to engage in sexual harassment, both socially in many circles and legally over the last several decades. Again, Mad Men being what it was, and perhaps somewhat an exaggeration, but perhaps not, as a depiction of the 50s, 
those kinds of things just wouldn't fly today, at least in the sense that when they get exposed, there's public hue and cry and virtual burnings at the stake, as it were, and companies do have fallout from it. But there are an awful lot of people who are still perfectly comfortable in their sexism. And we're talking very specifically about active, hey, we're going to be sexually harassing you sexism. Now, the other one is important, and it probably contributes to these kinds of active kinds of things, failing to hire women because you think they can't do their job uh, or sexually harassing them on the job are far more obvious than sort of underlying latent sexism that might be there and probably is there in large parts of the industry. And those underlying and latent kinds of quieter sexism matter. But it's, to Stephen's point, interesting that even that higher level, more obvious, less socially acceptable in any context kinds of sexism are still going on. So there's two kind of angles at this that we're interested in. Originally, we were just going to talk about hiring in tech because that is a problem that everybody knows exists and kind of everyone can acknowledge exists. There are smaller numbers of women and there are larger numbers of men in tech. By Whether a lot. or not you think by a lot. Whether or not you think the percentages are, you know, should be this, that or the other is Outside the fact that almost everyone agrees that there should be some amount more women in tech, even just to cover diversity boxes at the very, very least. And what we would be more interested in is in creating a community that is interested in showcasing multiple types of ways of working, ways of doing, ways of thinking, and ultimately ways of creating tech products. Um, and so the hiring bit is more difficult to get as a structural thing. And that's sort of what we prepared to talk about before all of these allegations about sexual harassment came to light. Now, seven and a half month break, people. (laughs) Right. So now it's kind of hard to ignore that there are definitely some overt sexual harassment things that are happening in the ether. And there there's definitely a discussion that we want to have there, uh, perhaps sometime in the future. But specifically, there are ways of thinking about hiring in tech that we want to talk about. So due to this being winning slowly, we're acknowledging that there's a thing and it's really important. And we're going to go talk about this other thing. (laughs) So sorry for the 11 and a half minute intro on that. The question of hiring, and this can extend in lots of other areas. So much of what we're going to say might be applicable, sort of looking sideways over at questions of racism and tech hiring as well. There's a standing question when there is a structural problem, when everyone can see that there's a structural problem, how do you address it? What is the most effective way to address it? Is it to attempt to tackle it organically, person by person by person at an individual level? Or is there a need to tackle it at a much higher level, an organizational or whole society via legal means level? And the question that comes from that here is, okay, let's say that we all acknowledge that we need more women as software engineers. This is an ongoing point of discussion where I work. We look around and we see that we're something like nine to one between male and female software engineers. That's a proportion that we actively want to change, but in part because of the dynamics of the industry as a whole, we're having a difficult time doing that. To wit, 
We hire basically only senior software engineers. Very occasionally, we will hire software engineers who are quickly tracked toward being seniors just based on experience. But we exist in the context of an industry that for several decades has in various ways deprioritized women, ignored women's needs, ignored women's own interests, ignored the different contours of women's careers, etc., so that there just aren't nearly as many senior software engineers around. There aren't that many software engineers around. There are currently, because of the changes as lots of people attempt to address this, quite a few junior engineers around. But for a company like mine, where we have a very, very high bar for whom we will hire, that leaves us in a spot where it's actually very difficult, even though we actively want to hire women. Also, because lots of companies are in the same boat we are, women have their pick of the jobs, as it were. You can look around at thoughtful companies in this space. And lots of us are trying to hire women. And there aren't that many women with the qualifications that the companies are looking for. And that raises the broad question, even if you're trying to do active per company hiring to resolve this problem, you may still be running into these issues. And then you start asking, okay, is it sexist to only hire female junior engineers while we're only hiring male engineers? At a basic level, you might start feeling some degree of active inequity in the context of the company where all the women are juniors and all the women are accordingly getting paid less, etc. So even the straightforward, obvious solutions to this, quote unquote, obvious and quote unquote, straightforward, don't necessarily automatically clear the bar. This is right. because it is an existing structural problem, not merely right. something that one company can flip a switch and fix, the solutions to it are also, it seems, going to be things that take a long time and a lot of companies and a lot of schools and otherwise a lot of people investing in changing it. Right. And so all of that is kind of the, the landscape as it stands now. So historically... The division between male and female in computers was between men doing hardware and women doing software. If you go back to the early days of computing, uh, people like Grace Hopper mm -hmm. and a whole other cadre of of women were originally doing the software for computers because the hardware was the engineering stuff and that was the more prominent high value type of work. And so uh, women did a lot of the early uh, software uh, development of, of technology. And as things changed um, and as the hardware of computers became more set and there were less strict engineering jobs to go around in a space. And this has ebbed and flowed over the history of computing. I'm giving a really high <laughs> level brief here. Men started to move into software and started to create more computer languages to develop software more efficiently. And the proportion of women who were in the field began to decrease, partially because men many more men jumped in the field and partially because of other structural factors like getting a computer science degree, which is uh, not something that is necessarily encouraged to many women, uh, either at a uh, social level or at an individual level. Now, there are definitely women engineers, so we're not saying that there are none. Right. I'm, 
I'm married to one, and there are definitely examples of this uh, throughout the field. But overall, there have been a lot of different pushes uh, institutionally as well as in nonprofits and other types of things to get women interested in being a uh, software or being in computers more broadly. Because of these shifts. Because of these shifts. So there have been societal pushes to try to put more people in the pipeline, if you wanted to put that language to it. And some of that has worked and some of that hasn't. And part of the deal that Chris mentioned earlier is that if you don't have enough people to hire, then you don't have the ability to raise your proportion. So this is the kind of the outworking of the problem that happened um, in the 60s and 70s when computing started to do its shift from hardware to software. Thinking about what we can do to solve the pipeline problem or the hiring problem or them together mm-hmm. is what people and what we think people need to think about. And so the different ways that we can do that, is it a government's job? Is there a role of the government? Is there a role more more social? So do we need to just push more social action at it if it's already a social issue? These are the the things that we need to think about. Right. And we have some suggestions, but a lot of this is still open. It's mm-hmm. still something that we're going to suggest some things now and at the end of the episode, but you're going to come away from this episode and be like, wow, that wasn't very satisfying, now was it? <laughs> and that's true. It it just won't be because these are big problems and they're going to take probably, it has taken decades for us to end up where we are in the in the most simple sense, quite possibly you could argue centuries, it's probably going to take decades at a minimum to undo some of the, the problems we have created here. Right. One of the things that I have suggested internally at our company and which I'm going to continue to push is to say, let's hire juniors. If we want to increase the number of women, we're going to have to put that on the table because the simple numerical realities are that if we want people who don't look like our current mix of mostly white, upper middle class dudes, well, we're probably going to have to change some things about our selection process. And this is difficult. We're a startup slash scale up trying to make some pretty substantial moves in an important part of our industry. It's potentially scary to say, hey, we're going to hire someone who we have to mentor a lot. But we're in an industry where there aren't that many senior women The only way to get seniors is to help make them. And becoming a senior engineer is primarily about experience. And so if we want the industry to be full of senior engineers who aren't, well, upper middle class white dudes, whether that's women in this case or similarly hiring across ethnic lines, we're going to have to do some more mentoring and we're going to have to be willing to bite the bullet at times and say, look, we're going to hire six people. Let's make two of them juniors. And let's aim that whenever we're hiring juniors, if we can hire senior women, great. But whenever we're hiring juniors, we're just going to prioritize women there. And yeah, that is going to lead to some of the uncomfortable things I mentioned a couple minutes ago. And it'll probably, 
as Stephen and I were thinking about this, it'll probably also raise some other issues in that, well, one of the fastest ways to get a salary increase in this industry is to change jobs. So if you hire a bunch of juniors and mentor them for two years, and all of a sudden they're qualified as regular software engineers and maybe even seniors because they're just really talented and you mentored them well, you're apt to lose them. Or you're going to have to pay more for yep, the for same retention. talent. Yep. For retention. And so there's there's a baseline principle here that's not fun, but you're <laughs> listening to an ethics podcast. And that baseline principle here is that someone's going to get inconvenienced. Yep. And it's probably going to cost you money. Inconvenienced, not just in the sense that this won't be quite as easy as it could be, but it's going to cost money. Yeah. It's going to require people making specific decisions for ethical reasons, explicitly mm-hmm. ethical reasons, and saying, we're going to take on the difficulty of going outside what our competitors are doing. Mm-hmm. So there, if you have direct competitors in a space and you decide to do this particular thing and they decide to do business as usual, you're going to have a different sort of trajectory for your employees for your company as a whole Mm -hmm. in the long run than the company you're competing with now in the longest run if you build (laughs) a comp if you you win (laughs) you win very slowly (laughs) in the longest run if you do foster a culture where women are valued and are mentored and are not harassed and are given opportunities to grow and are not blackballed when they leave Mm. and are not given a harder time because they are women, your company is going to have an easier time hiring women. You're going to have a reputation of being a company that does well for everyone, Mm -hmm. not just for some people. So this is something like Pinterest. I don't know what Pinterest's actual statistics are or what their reputation is at the moment, but my baseline reputation that I have of Pinterest is that they're a good company for men or women because they've earned that in the past with me. Now, there's a, again, I don't know what's happened in the past year because I've been writing a dissertation (laughs) and this could be totally wrong. Um, It could have just been an impression. It could actually never have been true. But the important thing is that understanding what your company looks like to the world is more than just what it looks like today. It's what it will look like in three years, five years, 10 years. And if you take some inconvenience now, you're going to have a much stronger company overall and in terms of the specific issue than you would if you didn't. Right. And this isn't a new theme for winning slowly by a long shot. This is something we've been saying about other issues since probably season zero, certainly season one. Mm -hmm. And if you want to hear us ramble about it a whole bunch, go back to the season in which we argued about how Amazon is dumb a whole bunch throughout the whole season. It's basically this theme applied to a bunch of different areas. But we think it really does come home here. As Stephen said, if my company chooses to be a place that mentors, hires, etc., women, treats women well, it gradually becomes much easier to hire from that much smaller pool of candidates who are women who are senior software engineers because of the reputation of your company. And that kind of thing is probably the biggest effect any individual company can have because you will net yourself that win long term, but you'll also be simply 
increasing in a general sense the number of women in the field who are qualified to do the work, and that will be to everyone's benefit. It's an ethical win that, yes, will probably have some immediate pain for you as a company. Right. But sure, find the ways that you can mitigate that pain, mitigate the risk of it, because you have higher higher risk anytime you're hiring junior developers, etc. But as you do that, your net effect for the company and for the culture as a whole will be to the good and will be to the benefit of everyone, including you. Right. And that's one of the ways that a structure can get changed and how an agent, a single agent, perhaps a company, or even particularly a group of people at the higher management of the company can get together and affect a structure. Now, it's not going to happen overnight, but if you have a long-term commitment to hiring uh, people who can help develop this particular culture that they're looking for, one that treats everyone equally, gives equal mentorship, gets equal uh, time and opportunities, then over time, A, if your company is successful, which all companies have a possibility of failure for whatever reason, um, if your company is successful, and this is part of the way that it it runs its company, that's uh, a model in and of itself. Right. But B, as you... As we acknowledged, as you start to lose some engineers to other companies because they are senior and they are able to uh, get a uh, bigger paycheck or in the normal course of events move to a different city that they have family in, yada, 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 you're, you're helping develop a culture throughout tech of being able to um, have choices when you're looking to hire women and you're looking to hire good engineers base none you're able to have a more diverse pool now again it's inconvenient for you to say yeah but we're going to mentor these people and they're going to leave that's true it's true we're we're not making an easy call here and we're calling for some people to be ethical in ways that are not easy um and This, again, as we mentioned, this goes for many different fields, whether it's academia, uh, whether it's um, any sort of business or law sort of juncture, any field that has this disparity, making a change like this is going to have these wide contours that we just laid out. And it's really going to take someone or a group of someone saying, despite these things that are going to happen, these changes that are going to make us look different and act different than some of our competitor companies, we're going to do this anyway. You'll note that we haven't talked about two other major ways that this kind of change does happen, and that's broader cultural action and legal action. And there are two reasons for that. One of them is that we ran out of time. (laughs) Plain and simple. Welcome back to winning slowly, y'all. We are getting our feet back under us. The other reason, though, is that those are things we've talked about in a bunch of the other episodes this season. Yeah. And... We can summarize by saying cultural action is really important, and at sometimes in some places, legal action can be important. In this case, I'll summarize by saying we think legal action is most important for protection of people rather than actively coercing companies to do this. But we also think there's room for reasonable disagreement on that, especially depending on the specific kinds of things you're militating against, whether that's against racism or sexism or whatever that may be. But we certainly think there's room for active protection, and especially in the context of bad hiring practices, which are Mm -hmm. a thing. 
For example, you're not allowed to not hire someone because she's eight months pregnant and is going to require maternity leave. We know that happens. People do that, but people get away with it. They can't actually get away with it if the government knows about it. That's a protection. So if you know of that happening in a company, please report it. Yeah. And then we talked briefly about nonprofit and other social pushes to get more women involved in the field. And those are all really good things, too. Mm -hmm. And we support uh, many of those types of interventions. Not all, um, (laughs) just because saying all is, you know, uh, (laughs) a dumb idea. Dumb, dumb idea, but many of those interventions have uh, good uh, ends that they are seeking and good ways of approaching that issue. As usual, it requires thinking about things and saying, will this actually help or hurt the problem? So right. when you look at some of those, you might say, I'm not actually sure this is helping, and you might be right. But on the whole, we want to encourage those. Right. So the song at the beginning of the episode was Jonah 2 by The Jonah Project. Thank you for letting us use it. So uh, long ago. Even so long ago. And uh, please don't use it without permission. We did use it with permission. Thanks, as always, to Andrew Fellows and Kirk Klassen for sponsoring the show this and for many preceding months where we weren't actually putting out episodes. We really appreciate it, guys. Yep. Uh, as always, we appreciate it. When you share this with friends, post it on social media, or rate and review us in iTunes or any other podcast app directory. That is the best way to support the show. But if, like Andrew Fellows and Kurt Klassen, you would like to sponsor the show, you can go to patreon.com slash winning slowly or cash.me slash dollar sign winning slowly. And 10% of whatever you give us goes to the Internet Archive because history is still important. And yes, I usually say that, but I can't read today and just said the wrong one. Seven and a half months, people. (laughs) Oh, man, it's rough. Um, So you can send comments about any of these ideas our way on Twitter, at Winning Slowly, at our Facebook page, or email at hello at winningslowly.org. Twitter and email are faster than Facebook on balance. Because I basically never log into Facebook anymore. Yeah, and I I have stopped posting a long time ago. (laughs) I still interact, but I just don't even post things yeah. anymore. We talked about that earlier in Season 5. It's true. It's still true. As always, thanks for listening, everyone. Whole, whole culture... Whole culture... Whole society via legal means level. Turns out that saying whole culture is really hard. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be for the bloopers. Yep.